Well, good morning. My name is Dave. I am a friend of Brent and Kylie, spoken here at East Lake Tri Cities on a number of occasions, and it is good to be back with you again. I say that even though this has complicated my schedule, and the reason I tell you that is because every summer I tend to try to minimize my speaking. I, I do some traveling and different things, but it's more to rest my mind and uh, to renew myself. But Brent was looking for someone to speak this weekend. And so he called the godliest man he knew. And they said to him, hey, Brent, wish I could come speak, but I am not available this week and I've got a lot going on. And then he ends up calling the most intelligent guy he knows and asked him, hey, could you come and speak? And that guy said to him, no, I can't. I've got a bunch of things going on. I am super, super busy. And so naturally he called the best looking friend he has. And he said, Dave, could you come and speak for me this weekend? And I said, Brent, I am really busy, but I cannot stand the thought of turning you down three times in one day. So yes, I will come speak for you. And so here I am. And that's how this all came about. I want to talk to you about something today that burns inside of me. Something I'm extremely passionate about. It's the topic of wisdom. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is most of the issues that you encounter and I encounter on a daily basis aren't issues that can be solved with just simple yes and no answers. They're not issues that can just be resolved through scientific research. They're issues and they're dilemmas that we really have to wrestle through. Questions like, where should I live? And who should I marry? And what should I do for a career? Should I have kids? If so, how many kids should I have? Should I send them to public school? Should I send them to private school? Should we homeschool them? How can I best use my talents and my personality? And how can I make the most of this life? What new series should I start to binge watch on Netflix? Right? There's so many issues that aren't just addressed with simple yes and no answers. It's the reason why in an ancient book of wisdom, known to us as the book of Proverbs, the author writes this. He says, for wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with it. Now, the author of Proverbs was a guy by the name of Solomon. Solomon was the third king of Israel, considered by some to be one of the wisest and most wealthy people who ever walked this planet. And so he writes from his perspective, he says, wisdom's more valuable than having wealth. It's more valuable than success and talent and fame. And of course, most of us in our way of thinking, we're like lame, there is no way it is better than wealth and success and fame. But Solomon, who had these things, is just writing from his perspective. He says, man, as I look at life, as I just look at the interactions I've had with people, as I look at the circumstances and relationships I've had to wrestle through and how I've seen things unfold in people's life, man, wisdom is better than wealth and success and fame. And if we really think about it, we know that's true because we've all seen people who've achieved lots and lots of fame or they've accumulated lots and lots of money and wealth and yet they shipwrecked their life because they didn't know how to handle the fame or the success or the financial situation that they were blessed to have. Having wisdom is way different than just having knowledge and information. When I was a junior in high school, this is going to surprise some of you, but I played on the basketball team. Of course, you don't know me that well, so maybe it wouldn't surprise you. You know, I'm six foot tall, but I'll tell you, there's not a 
disciplined bone in my body. It just kind of, everything goes, kind of goes everywhere. Just kind of lanky individual in how I operate. But I played on the basketball team, which is kind of an exaggeration. I actually sat on the bench a lot, but at the end of the basketball season, we had a big pep rally in our school to uh, highlight those who are on the basketball team. And they chose four or five of us on the team, which surprised me that I was actually chosen. It was a last minute thing, but I was chosen um, to come in front of the rest of the school and be honored is the way they put it uh, in front of our classmates. Well, what happened is we sat down in these seats, me and just four other players, and uh, we were told that we were being given the opportunity of a lifetime. We got to kiss one of the cheerleaders on the cheerleading squad. And if you think, well, there's a catch, there was a catch, and they told us that. They said, here's a deal. Obviously, something like this, we had to get permission from your parents. So we called your parents. They got to pick the cheerleader you're kissing. And my buddies are like, oh, I don't know about this. And I'm like, yeah, bring it on. Because my best friend was a girl named Beth. She was beautiful, and she was on the cheerleading squad. So I was like, yeah, I know who my parents picked. And so then they blindfolded us because they didn't want it to be this, like, oh, you know which one you're, you're kissing. And just one by one, all the basketball players gave the cheerleader a quick peck. Well, it gets to me, and I'm thinking, man, I need to embarrass Beth. So when she leaned down to kiss me, instead of just giving her a little peck, I stood up, put my arms around her, and held her face to mine for about 20 seconds. Now, it wasn't like some gross, slobbery, drooling kiss, but I just, like, lip to lip, just 20 seconds, held her there, and it got the response I was looking for. My friends started cheering my name, David, David. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, right here. Right? And then we had to rate the kiss. And my fellow teammates were, in my opinion, a little cruel because they were using phrases like, ah, I've had better. Ah, needs a little help. Needs a little work. Well, it gets to me. And I'm thinking, I need to embarrass Beth right now. I need to come up with something. And so even though this wasn't true, I did say it. I said, all I know is she tried slipping me the tongue. She must have liked it. And the place went wild, and I got the reaction I was looking for. And so I ripped off the blindfolds because I had to see how she responded. And it's possible you already see what's coming here. It was not Beth. It was my mother. It was one of those moments that just like marked me. I walked out of the assembly that day, went home, didn't even go back to class for the rest of the day. And of course, that earned me a little reputation when I did go back to class the following week and people mocking me and giving me a hard time. And I look back at that, and I'm like, okay, I was 17 years old. Come on, with the knowledge, with the information I had, I should have been like, okay, something is up. Could I put the blindfolds on us? But the truth is, I just didn't think about it. Here's the deal. People with wisdom don't just have information or knowledge that they have access to. They know how to apply it. They look at everything in front of them, and they are able to connect the dots. Well, we live in a world that is saturated with information. In fact, there's been multiple studies done on this topic. One of the more fascinating ones is how the amount of information produced that we have access to, the amount of knowledge put together in such a way that, hey, we can somehow come across it from the beginning of time, from the beginning of humanity until the early 2000s, is roughly the same amount of information now that is being produced every couple days. We do not have an information problem. Our problem is being able to connect the dots and use it in a helpful way. History is just filled with stories of good people, intelligent people, bright people, talented people 
who made really, really dumb decisions or shipwrecked their life because of their inability to use wisdom. So wisdom is something we all need in our life. And we could define it in different ways. And I'm sure ultimately it would pretty much communicate the same thing. But for the sake of being on the same page, here's how I want to define a wise person today. A wise person lives today with tomorrow in mind. That's it. A wise person lives today with tomorrow in mind. A wise person tries to see the big picture. They think about the repercussions of their decision so when they make a decision, they're, they're, they're looking at more than just the moment. They're looking at, how is this going to affect me a year from now, in a couple years from now? And today what I want to do is I want to unpack or just look at briefly two verses from the book of Ephesians that really help us to have some sort of filter for the opportunities and invitations and decisions that we're confronted with on a daily basis. So before I get into these verses, I'm going to give you just a quick little background. Uh, Ephesians was a letter uh, written in the first century by a guy named Paul. He was a very popular church leader. It's possible you've heard of him. We call him the Apostle Paul. So he writes this letter to followers of Jesus living in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is part of modern-day Turkey, and it's a city you can still visit today. In fact, there's many ruins there in the city that, that you'll come across and that uh, actually are fascinating to look at because when you read in different parts of the Bible, they actually reference some of these locations that you can come across. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter, is writing to people like you and I. Uh, the city of Ephesus had a lot of influence. It was one of the larger cities in the area, so much like Seattle or Chicago or Los Angeles, or Pasco, right? So here's the deal. There's, there's this influence that uh, the city of Ephesus has, but um, it's filled with all types of, of, of influences. In fact, there's many pagan temples throughout the city. And so Paul is writing to people like us, who are in a culture where they're trying to just maintain morals and values when maybe it seems like the, the norm is, is, is pulling them in the other direction. And so Paul, with that kind of context in mind, uh, writes this letter. He puts a bunch of do's and don'ts in there and a bunch of instructions. And yet he understands human nature. He understands just because I tell them don't do this or do this doesn't mean they're just going to listen. So he says, well, let me push it a little further. All right, so after he says, avoid this and don't mess up your life by doing this, he, he gives us this filter that helps all of us, regardless of the situation we're encountering. Here it is. He writes, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. He writes, be careful how you live. Be careful how you do marriage. Be careful how you parent your kids. Be careful how you do business transactions. Be careful how you approach your finances. Not because it's going to give you a better status with God, not because he's going to love you more, but because the choices we make today impact our lives tomorrow. So Paul writes, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. To which you and I say, well, I know I'm not a fool. He must be talking about everyone else, right? I pity the fool. Well, when he says fool, the fact is every single one of us play the role of a fool from time to time. It may not be a position we live day in and day out, but every single 
decision and, and invitation we're given, every single choice that comes our way, we have the opportunity to play the fool. And sometimes we do. It's easy to dismiss because we think, well, the fool is someone who puts their life in danger, just does stupid things. Like, like this guy doing electrical work, right? We, we think, well, well, here, here's a guy who, who's, who's a fool. Or how about this guy repairing a chimney? Or, or this group of young men trying to get power to the pool. Yeah, see, that's how we think of, uh, of a fool. But the truth is, a fool is just someone who lives for the moment. That's it. That's the definition. A fool isn't necessarily a bad person. They're not someone who necessarily is immoral, unethical. They're not someone who uh, is, is, tries to be a jerk. Hey, just the bottom line is often a fool is just someone who's immature and they lack perspective. So for a fool, waiting is not an option. For, for the fool, everything is equally valid. Right? There, there is no opportunity for compromise with a fool. They see everything in black and white. The only consequences that matter are, are not long-term consequences. They're the immediate consequences. Now, when I was a teenager, my dad tried to teach me the value of money. And one of the things that he uh, did to teach me the value of money is actually something that I now am passing on and doing my kids. Uh, but he told me that he would match whatever I saved by the time I graduated high school. And he said, but there's one little catch. You have to save a minimum of $5,000. And he didn't even hide the reason for doing this. He said, the reason I'm doing this, and I'm fixing my mic, and I hope it's not too distracting for you. Um, he said, the reason I'm doing this, I want to teach you the value of money. And I don't want you just saving at the last minute, throwing a cutter a couple hundred bucks. But if you are disciplined, Dave, you can save $5,000. He said, and so by the time you graduate high school, that's what you have to do. Well, the day came where I graduated, May of 1993. Now you get to guess if I saved $5,000 by the time I graduated high school. The answer is no. I didn't even come close. And the reason why is because I was a teenager. And I had to spend my money on important things like Burger King and Taco Bell and McDonald's, right? I had to wear the latest fashion, which for me, uh, growing up in the late 80s, early 90s for jeans or for pants was Z Cavaricis. I don't know if you ever remember these things. They were hot. I had to buy these brands like Guess Jeans and Gotcha t-shirts. Had to have the Sony Walkman I always had to have the coolest and latest things that came out. I had to have a car. So I actually went and bought, no exaggeration, my first car, a red Yugo. I mean, this is like the size of a golf cart. And my friends would make fun of me. In fact, one of them said, hey, Dave, what do you call a Yugo station wagon? We go. I was like, okay, that's lame. That's lame. But I just had to buy stuff all the time. And I, I was naive. If I had any concept of how much $5,000 was specifically to an 18-year-old kid, I would have found a way to do it. But I make foolish decisions because I'm naive. Fools don't think through the impact of their decisions. Fools often know the difference between right and wrong. It's not like they're oblivious to it, but they just couldn't care. They, they just don't care. You know, to a fool, someone may stand in front of them and say, hey, this path that you're going down, it's going to lead you to a bad place. But they keep going anyways. And every single day, you and I are confronted with opportunities and invitations, and uh, we're confronted with circumstances in which we have to decide, do I want to play the wise individual in this story, or am I going to play the part of a fool? 
And if I want to be the wise guy, right, if I want to be someone who exhibits wisdom, I have to learn to ask a very specific question. It is a pivotal question. It is a question that I did not come up with. It's not something that I invented. It's actually a question I learned years ago when I read a book by one of my favorite communicators, Andy Stanley. The name of the book is The Best Question Ever. And here it is. What is the wise thing for me to do? What is the wise thing for me to do? Now, this is a very different question than fools ask. A foolish person is going to ask, how close can I get to the line without actually breaking the law? How far can I go without being considered immoral or unethical? How close can I get to disaster without experiencing the pain of disaster? How much debt can I accumulate before I have to get another job? See, the foolish person is obsessed with questions like, is it legal? Is it permissible? Is it moral? Because they're just living for the moment. People who live with tomorrow in mind learn to ask the question, what is the wise thing for me to do in this relationship, in this financial decision? What is the wise thing for me to do in my career? What is the wise thing for me to do as a parent in this moment? Not, is it consensual? Not, did the bank say I was pre-approved? Not, was I invited to the party? Did I get asked to participate? Not, does it feel like something I want to do? No, what is the wise thing for me to do? And so Paul writes, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, live like those who are wise. And then he adds this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. It's like Paul's becoming a little Debbie Downer here. It seems like Eeyore, like, oh, it's just so evil all around you. But that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, come on, let's just deal with the reality. If you look around and, and, and you talk to people and, and you interact uh, in, in different settings, you know that if you're not careful, culture is going to put you in a different direction than you want to go. And so you have to be active and intentional in in how you move forward. If you handle money like everyone around you handles money and you approach it the same way, you're going to end up like everybody else and have their type of financial situation. If you want to date and do relationships like everybody else, your relationship is going to look like everybody else. If you want to prioritize your life the way every marketing piece and every social media post and and every advertising suggests for you to do so, then you'll be like everybody else. You'll just be obsessed with yourself because culture has a way of bringing all of us to a place where we do not want to go. And so Paul is encouraging people living in a culture very similar to ours to start asking this question, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, I realize that question can be intimidating and maybe it feels in some ways like not really practical because how do we apply that in, in every different situation? So let me add even a couple more filters to that question. And you can apply it to whatever you're wrestling through in your life right now. The first filter would be this, my past experiences, my past experiences. So in light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing for me to do right now? Not what's legal, not what's permissible, not what is everybody else doing, but what is the wise thing for me to do? And the reason that we have to look at our past is because we have unique histories. Nobody has your history but you. Your history and my history predisposes us to do certain things. 
So if you have a tendency to make really screwed up financial decisions and you complicate your life in almost every big financial decision, then the next time you're confronted with a big financial decision, you have to ask, what's the wise thing to do? Who do I bring into this situation? How do I manage this right now? In light of my dating history, in light of my tendency to abuse alcohol, in light of how I say yes to everyone and I get overwhelmed, in light of my constant over-promising to people, in light of how I'm careless with my words and I have been in my life, what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, most of us have probably heard the phrase before that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That is the reality for the fool. Now, I have a very impulsive personality. And I could probably give you 15 examples off the top of my head of how my impulsiveness has hurt me. In fact, even a couple years ago in Kenosha, I was visiting someone at the courthouse, ran into somebody that I hadn't seen in a while and fired me up. And there were words being exchanged. I just, it, they had to call security on me. True story, pastor in a community. And uh, that was a turning point for me. I said, I can't keep living like this, but I'm just impulsive. And uh, when I was living in North Carolina back in my mid-20s, my sister was living with me at the time. She was 19 years old. She came home one evening, 8, 8.30, maybe 9 o'clock at night, and she's crying. I said, Katie, why are you crying? She said, because one of the kids that I did not allow onto the cheerleading team, because she was a coach, she said, their dad came and reamed me out and told me I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I felt for her and I said, I'm sorry to hear that. What's his name? And when she said his name, I was like, no way. I know this guy vaguely, vaguely, but I know him because he attended the same church that I was on staff at. And so just my impulsive personality, I pull out the phone book, I find his name and his number, but I don't call him. Now it's about 9, 930 at night. I look up his address and I go to his house and I knock on his door and he opens the door and he says, Hello? And I said, Barry, big tough guy. You're in your 40s. Got to pick on this 19-year-old girl. I hope you feel good about yourself. And as fate would have it, I'm telling you, this has never happened to me before in my life. It's one of those situations, like probably once in a lifetime thing. My boss happened to be at his house having dinner because I hear from the other room, Dave, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not as angry as I was a few minutes ago. I don't want to get in trouble from the boss. But that's just my life. That's my personality. Just, re, re, just re, react. Don't, don't respond. Just, just let it all fly. So for me, in light of my past history, with my email, I have a filter called Mail Butler. Mail Butler. That when I send an email, it literally does a countdown right on my screen. It goes 10, 9, 8, seven. So it just gives me opportunity to think, do I want to unsend it? Do I want to unsend? Do I? And there's been several times I've just said, eh, I probably need to unsend it right now and wait till I'm a little calmed down. So in light of my past experiences, now second filter would be my current circumstances. In light of where I'm at emotionally right now today, right? I just got out of a long relationship is now the right time for me to start dating. I just got out of a huge, uh, uh, very difficult and demanding job. I've been beaten up. Is right now the time for me to move across the country and try to start another job? What is the wise thing for me to do? Because you know this. If you're in a season of stress, it oozes out into every aspect of your life, including your family. It's like every little thing that your kids do, 
They're tap dancing on your last nerve. And that's when you start speaking in, you know, staccato and you just start getting all intense and you're like, get over here. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And they're like, no, that's not true. It's not going to hurt me more. But we get under stress and it just oozes out everywhere. So we have to ask, in light of where I'm at right now, relationally or emotionally, what is the wise thing for me to do? And as we answer that question, not everyone around us is going to understand. Not everyone around us is going to agree with us. At the church I pastor, we've been looking at hiring a youth pastor for one of our campuses, and it's been a year-long process. We've offered the job for, to a couple different individuals, and it just didn't work out. Well, recently we had a guy who spent the weekend with us, loved him, loved his wife, offered him the job. He said, just give me a week to think about it. He said, I can't foresee turning this thing down. So we talked a week later. He said, Dave, I don't know how to tell you this. This past week, my lead pastor sat our leadership team down and brought us up to speed with a tragedy that's unfolding right here in our church. And I am just, I I can't leave in this season. I need to be here for the church because this is going to be a huge journey we're about to embark on. He explained it to me. And of course, I was like, come on, now your problem, you come work for me. We'll give you your own problems, right? But I, I had to understand. I had to step back and say, you know what? For him, he's making the wise decision based on his current circumstances. People who are wise live with the big picture in mind. They ask, in light of my past experiences and in light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? And then there's the third filter that we can add, and that is my future hopes and dreams. In light of the kind of marriage I want, In light of the kind of career I'm hoping unfolds for me. In light of the fact I want to retire someday. In light of the fact that I want kids who talk to me someday. What is the wise thing for me to be doing right now? In light of the kind of person I want to marry. In light of the kind of person I want to be. See, for most of us, if we went around and we all had a microphone and we all had to speak into it, we would say that, the reason most of us are not where we want to be in life has nothing to do with illegal stuff we got caught up with or immoral stuff. It's just, we, we can point to season in our life and say, man, I just made some really unwise decisions. And when we made the decisions, we could have argued, hey, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. There isn't a Bible verse to condemn this, right? It's not illegal, but it just wasn't the wise thing to do. And it's the reason why so many of us end up in dysfunctional relationships. And why we end up accumulating so many regrets as parents. And it's why our financial situations are way tighter than they need to be. It's just because we we don't really set up safeguards and boundaries. Nobody plans to mess up their life. But most of us don't plan not to mess up our life either. And so the question that we need to learn to ask over and over and over is, what is the wise thing for me to do? Not what is necessarily the right or wrong thing, although there's a time for that. What's moral and what's immoral? What's ethical and unethical? There's a time for those. But what is the wise thing for me to do? Now, wisdom doesn't just come naturally. We have to seek it out, right? We have to to ask questions. We have to be humble enough to hear things that we don't want to hear. And so part of the process of wisdom is accumulating knowledge and it is accumulating information from people who've gone there and been there and done that. And we say, based on your experience, what can you teach me? What can I learn? And then we take those facts and this information knowledge and we learn to connect the dots. It's why King Solomon in his book on wisdom 
writes this. He says, get all the advice and instruction you can. So you will be wise the rest of your life. Get all of the advice and instruction you can. So you will be wise the rest of your life. So here's my challenge to you as we wrap up. What is the area of your life right now that you consistently seem to fall back in the same old pattern? It's like your life's in one big crazy cycle that you just, you do good for a while and then you just fall back into a bad pattern. What is it? Get all the advice and instruction you can in that area. Is it a financial issue? Maybe you need to look and find some Dave Ramsey financial courses in the Tri-Cities area. Is it a relationship thing? Maybe you need to find a group that you can be a part of, some, some sort of network here at, at the church or maybe even outside the church. But what is it? that you, Is it a marriage issue? Maybe you need to humble yourself and say, I hate this and it sucks, but I'm going to get marriage counseling. I'm going to talk to a therapist. I don't want to do it. But based on my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, it's probably the best and the wisest thing for me to do. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, all of us have situations in our life where we continue to hit a brick wall, where it just feels like we're in this cycle that keeps repeating itself over and over and over, and we can't break free. So I pray for each of us in our individual lives and in individual situations, you would give us the wisdom to know what we're supposed to do and the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for letting me be with you today.